Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. Welcome to part two of our two-part episode with Tyson Motzenbacher. If you are just tuning in and didn't listen to part one, part one is our general interview with Tyson. So make sure that you go check that out so you get a lot of context, just our general interview. This part two is our song-by-song breakdown of his latest album, Someday I'll Make It All Up To You. So make sure that you check out part one. And as long as you've checked out part one, we're ready to jump into part two. Nate, you ready to go? Uh-huh. So our first song, uh, the opener, is called Highline. So hold me, keep me coming back. Listen when I tell you that I'm not worried. Darkness, is it just an absence? Walk you to the highline, a new day is coming. Because I don't want to be scared. All right, Andrew, Highline, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so what we've kind of decided to do with this, Tyson, is that we're basically we have so many questions and we tried to boil it down here for each song. And so I'm going to focus for the most part on kind of the music on the album and Nate's going to focus on the lyrics. So you'll kind of get a question about each of those per song. And so hopefully we can get a pretty well-rounded idea for each song. So... For Highline, I think this is just the perfect start to your sound. If anyone hasn't listened to you before, the song gives the listener a chance to kind of get to know what to expect from the album. And it's also one of the more upbeat songs on the album. It, it kind of starts the album on, on a positive and fun feel. And I really love the lyrical refrain, I don't want to be scared no more. I just think that's a great kind of start to the album lyrically. It's also, it's got some really cool elements in the song. For me, one of the the main things that's super memorable with this is even just the trumpet in the background during this song. So I wanted to kind of just ask, how do you tend to write your songs? Does it usually start with a musical idea or a lyrical idea? What's that process like? Yeah, this one was just, um, it started with that, you know, I was talking earlier about how like things start with kind of a snapshot or whatever. And this one for me was, I didn't go to New York until I was a little bit older. Like all of my touring was kind of on the West side. And so on the West coast and out to like, you know, the Midwest and stuff. And so the first time I went to New York, you know, it just feels like a, it just feels like nowhere else. It just feels like this monster, but also it's incredibly exciting. So it's like, I just remember, like, we got on the train and we were going into town, and I was just like, I was just like, man, this place feels like the world to me. The kind of like the getting on this train and rolling into New York is how growing up felt like, like, like rolling into your adulthood where people are expecting you to know how to do things, and like, it's just you just don't know how to do anything. So that was that was that one, and then we um, Highline was fun because it's pretty rare for me that a song just happens, and I, I think I wrote Highline in like eight minutes. I just wow. like sat down and just it just happened. It was like I played it through pretty much straight the first time, and then the only thing that we did with that one was uh, in the studio with Tyler. We changed the third verse. He was the one that he loved the idea of. I think that what we've we've wrestled with a lot on this record is this idea of, of forces that are traditionally viewed as like malevolent forces or evil forces, things that want to hurt you are actually not. They're totally neutral. And in this one, he was like, I'm talking about how scared of time and change I am. And then he, Tyler was like, well, let's make it our brother. So the third verse, the time, time holds me down like a brother, showing me all the things I couldn't bear to lose. 
and it's that I, it's just like that felt so appropriate to me that like, man, this is so scary. And it's not because we're a victim of anything. It's not because anyone's out to get us or like there's an evil force in the world that has intent to destroy me in this way or whatever. It's just like, this is just what being a human feels like a lot of the time. And it's, a, and it's kind of like, there's a comfort in that. I think there's kind of a comfort in the, in the idea that like the thing you're afraid of doesn't care about you. Like not in a good way or a bad way. There's kind of like a release in that. They're like, so yeah, that's where that one came from uh, lyrically. And then, yeah, I think this, you're right, man. It's actually a trombone uh, in the background and it's a guy playing a trombone really high. It's a friend of mine named Dave Matsumura who lives in Santa Cruz. And he was a, he was like a trombone major in college, <laughs> which I think is awesome. And he just, he can just play the crap out of a trombone. And so he sent me those over and it was that when we, Tyler and I got those trombones back, we were like, this is it. Like, this is the first song just because of those. So, so what I wanted to talk about, I mean, we're, we're clicking. I wanted to talk about that third verse. Time holds me down like a brother showing me all the things I couldn't bear to lose. I fight back most of the time, just bargaining as if I get to choose. I don't want to be scared no more. I don't want to be scared no more. And I think it's extremely interesting that this is a first song on the record. Like right after, I know you had the EPs, but right after your debut where it almost seems to be addressing a lot of the themes on Letters to Lost Loves. And I'm, I'm re- trust me, I'm reading into things, so feel free to shoot me down. But uh, almost like that ever since you lost your mom, you've been dealing with this fear of losing everything. And in this song, you want to move on, not even from loss, but from fear. And yet there's no resolution, as I mentioned earlier, um, which is not uncommon for you. But instead, there's just this acknowledgement and recognition and understanding, which I think is the beginning of the journey of growing in the midst of fear. And uh, my question for you is, are you less scared now than when you wrote this song? Oh, man. Well, so, yeah, that was... That's all incredibly insightful. That song in particular was, I had probably a year in there. I don't know, when it was a year or two ago. Yeah, it was like six to eight months where I was having these incredible panic attacks in the middle of the night where I'd wake up at like three in the morning and couldn't sleep. And those were the impetus for that. I don't want to, like, I just remember being awake one night and like, it was one of those where it's like, it's just not the time to be thinking about these things. And a lot of it is because, you know, that's the, I think that is the second phase, the losses. You know, when you lose something, it's like, well, it's gone. Um, I can't lose that anymore. Even like, you know, like when, when my mom died, we were in the hospital, in hospice, and the hospice guy came up to me and he was like, I'm so sorry. And also like, it's okay to feel relieved. And I was like, whoa, that's a crazy thing to say. Somebody who literally, I literally lost my mom like four minutes before that. And he was like, hey, you can feel relieved. And I was like, oh, but you're 100% right. Because that's exactly how I feel. It's like, this was excruciating especially towards the end, it was so hard. And, and now, I, now I can just go home and go to sleep and pick up the pieces. But what doesn't resolve in that moment, because the loss resolves then, that's the beginning of everything else, like the realization that you can't lose anything. So yeah, I think right now, like the funny thing is I'm actually not, I actually feel really good right now. But I think part of that is just because like, I think that when, when I more or less know what my future looks like, I can pick out all the reasons why it's not going to work out, right? But right now, it's like, you know, we're in this pandemic. Like, I had a talk with my friend yesterday where I was like, I don't know if any of us are going to tour again. Or like, who knows? Like, who knows what's going to happen? Like, who knows if this is just the 
you know, who knows if all the clubs that we play go out of business or who knows if all the, you know, who knows if everybody that plays in our bands go get jobs after this or like, who, like there's so many things that can happen. It's completely unknown. Like, I don't know if the freedom of my house is going to be open. No, nothing, nothing is known. Like I, like we canceled my April tour this morning. It's just like, I have nothing booked. So like, it's like, oh man, everything is so unknown that I almost can't dive into the details of why I'm in trouble. It's like, well, I guess we're in this incredible moment of pause where we wait and we see what's next. But yeah, I think, I think trying to find, trying to find peace in it is the goal. And I think that a lot of that is what I found to be helpful for me is to just like realize the incredible limits you have to control your own life. Even like, you know, you can make decisions and choices and you can plan and you can do all of these things. You know, you can have wise people that tell you what to do. And, and ultimately it's like the amount that we can actually control our own lives is fairly limited. And I think that when you kind of let that control go a little bit and say like, you know what, like, I'm just going to do my best. That is actually like incredibly comforting, or at least it was for me. Next we have Sunday morning. Well, it's got just a feeling you can use at your will. Beat your heart inside the love. Pull the trigger when you kill. You promise of a new life that ran closer to a morning. So I don't blame anyone for passing. But get stalled on Sunday morning. All right, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Sunday morning? Yeah, so Tyson, a lot of your music relies on nostalgia lyrically. It tends to look back at times in the past and the quote-unquote good old days, if you will. And nostalgia a lot of times helps us look at the past with rose-colored glasses. But this song kind of flips that on its head a bit. It's you kind of looking back at leading music at a, at a youth group camp and noticing the problem with kind of what I call hype events, events that I've been a part of leading worship myself uh, for many times. But these events often rely on kind of an experience but tend to not create true relationship. It's, it's a huge high and then you kind of go home and everything's normal. And I just wanted to ask you, through your own faith journey, how would you define what a healthy view of relationship with God might look like? Oh, that's a big one. That's good, though. I think, oh, man, I think just there's like an intimacy with God that can happen where you can begin to access like things that are not really like one of the best ways that I can can explain it is like cliches are are cliches for a reason, right? Like, so somebody says, like, distance makes the heart grow fonder. You're like, well, yeah, I've been hearing that my entire life. It doesn't mean anything. And then the person that you love is far away, and you're like, I miss you so much more. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, I just, you stumbled upon the cliche, and you discovered it for yourself. And then it, because there are these enormous, you know, universal truths. And I think that a lot of things with God are like that. They're like, it's ways where you can't, I don't think you can really tell someone how to like walk in the deep waters of, of, of like who I believe God to be. They have to kind of find it on their own. And I think that comes through like there's people that I know in their eighties and they just like sit there and they just have this presence where you're like, Oh, you are on to something that I'm not on. You know, you see something that I don't see and you can ask them and they'll be like, you know, they'll be like, Oh, uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the secret? I think that what that is is just like, it's a seeking after him. And I think it's a seeking after him as its own reward. So I think that the way that most people seek after God is for 
including myself, I do this too. It's like most people seek after God because they want something from him, you know? And if you seek after him because he is the thing to be wanted, I think that that leads to being 80 and telling people that distance makes the heart grow fonder. That was really well put, Tyson. I, I, it's a big question to try and answer in a, in an interview in this format, but you did a great job. You're going to heaven. You're going to heaven. <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody that tries to pray for me that you guys said that. that I, I yeah, you have the long-distance listening stamp of approval. Right. Well, I don't know what that actually accounts to. It's not like an indulgence. We're not trying to sell anything like that. Telling indulgence, Yeah. <laughs> Look, everybody's got to make a living during these tough times. <laughs> sure. The Patreon indulgence. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to do. Has that. anybody thought of this yet? I don't know. Oh man, we'll we'll cut you really in, brilliant. Tyson. This was definitely okay. your idea, so thank you for that. <laughs> we'll tie that ten percent to you. Yeah. So the music of the song is incredible. Whether it's the guitar lead line, the bass guitar, the ambient synths, the whole vibe of the song is super strong. And your music really creates these really deep musical vibes that transports the listener to a different soundscape. So how do you go about creating these vibes? And is it ever a challenge for you to make sure that you don't just get stuck creating the same vibes again and again? Yeah, this one was like, we were... I think like most of the time when I have a demo or whatever, I feel like I know the direction it's going to go, but I don't, I don't want to do that. Like I want to find a, a, a new way that's inspiring to me. And yeah, that, that, that actually, that song was, I didn't really know what we were going to do with it. And then we got in cause I mean, like I, I played that song really slow, like super folk, kind of like sad folk song. I've played it that way for a long time. So like we brought it into the studio and, and Tyler was playing bass on that one and Aaron was playing drums and, and I kind of played the first few bars of it. And then that bass line is what made the whole song happen. It's like that, uh, it's like kind of that pulsing bass line thing. And it's incredible playing. Like there's, if you listen to it, there's like bass harmonics on it. So he's hitting these, he's hitting these harmonics on the three and I think it's, this is super music nerd talk, but it's just like this incredibly difficult bass part. Uh, it's really, really hard to play. And it's really cool, and it's, like, way, way more interesting even than it sounds like. It sounds really pretty pedestrian, but... And then Aaron jumped in, and I was like, this is the song. Like, we... That is... Like, I'm so happy that we found it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's... that. The key to that, I think, is just surrounding yourself with people that are both better than you and also think differently than you. Like, have... You know, I always, I always try to find... Like, for instance, like, the guy that does my stage design, he's, like friend of mine but he he just knows he's one of those guys that just like thinks that things that i don't think are cool are cool but like knows everything about them and can kind of show you why they're cool like he loves tiki bars and like all this weird stuff from the 50s and so he was the one that like made a bunch of the like decisions on the on the way the album turned out it's just like oh like these people that have insight into things that are interesting that you don't that can kind of like broaden your horizons those people are rare too. They're hard to find. And when you find them, you got to like hold on to them. So you have uh, two YouTube videos, one for Sunday morning and another for the last summer where you kind of share the story behind the songs and then play a stripped down version of them. For those who haven't checked those out, you have to. They're so sick. They're really intimate and enlightening and extremely well shot. 
I just think this song is so clever, nostalgic, and thought-provoking. What I find most interesting in the song is your personal transformation, how you start in the verse... In the first verse, you start as someone who is almost naively and like passively a part of this movement where a pastor is selling feelings and emotions as substance or like some sort of truth. And then by the end of the song, you essentially become a salesman of feelings and emotions as well. And my question is, if not a good feeling, what do you feel like you have to offer people? Oh, man. That's, I think that one thing that you tapped into that's really important is that one thing that I wanted to do with this record was that I wanted to, I didn't want to ever criticize something without taking responsibility for it. It's like, that's kind of the mantra behind, like, I'm a field day too, which is the last song on the record, which is like, if I'm going to criticize this sort of like, really what I spent the whole record setting up, which is like, rose-colored nostalgia and sentimentalism towards a past that never existed. I have to take responsibility for it. So, like, I miss it, too. Like, I'm right there with all of us saying, like, I want it to be like that. And I think that was the case with Sunday Morning was that I just had to say, like, man, like, I am, I'm just as guilty of all of these things as anyone is. And in some ways, like, it's even, like, the way that we look at, like, you know, with, like, the way that Twitter treats people now, it's like, with cancel culture and all this it's like a lot of the times the only people that can really solve you know you talk about like there's a reason why we have like a witness protection program it's like the people that can take down the broken stuff are usually the ones that were in it and to say like just because like like that to say for some reason like for some reason that like because you have in the past had you know views that are x y or z that means that you can never speak on a part of making those things better and I just don't like that narrative. I think that everyone has the opportunity to be better all the time. And everyone has the opportunity to help fix systems that other people don't see are broken. And so, yeah, I mean, what to offer besides a good feeling? I think that, like, that was actually something my mom taught me, which is that, like, the goal of life is not to be comfortable or even happy. Like, if that's your goal, like, you're never going to find anything. You have to be looking for substance, and substance is hard. Like substance, it requires suffering, which is the antithesis of happiness in the in the short term. But in the long term, it is the answer to it. Like like basically, the happiness and satisfaction and all those things are consequences of having a very difficult time. And so, if you seek to have an easy time and a happy time, you'll never find it. It's just kind of like so that that is my hope is that like by by tackling things that are bigger than ourselves and almost impossible to reconcile by like looking at those things and taking those on and doing the difficult work in every regard that that leads to something better than like short-term satisfaction or comfort or whatever next up we have come to california California. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is possibly my favorite thing 
musically that you do in this whole album is your melodies and cadences. I think they're some of the smoothest flowing melodies and cadences that I've honestly ever heard. They never feel shoehorned in. It always feels extremely natural. And this song is no exception. And in fact, it's one of my favorites on the album from that standpoint. Has this always been something that you felt good at as a songwriter with your melodies and cadences? Or is this something that you feel like you've been working towards getting better at through your songwriting career? I really appreciate saying that. I think that probably the reason why it feels that way is that those are really important things to me. Specifically phrasing, like the cadence, what you're talking about. Like the cadence or the yeah, the phrasing of a sentence, if that's not right, that's actually that's maybe even more important to me than the melody itself. And so I think that probably there's a reason why I would say that probably out of those other, you know, X songs that I wrote for this record, probably there are a lot of them that have phrases that feel shoehorned in and stuff like that. But yeah, I think those ones are usually the ones that where you can just tell, like, I think when you get a song that feels like it exists as its own entity, like it's its own thing, you know, the lyrics aren't like superimposed. And there's not stuff jammed in to try to prop it up. Like that's that to me is like kind of the makings of a good song. So, and that's how Come to California felt. That one was actually like so fun. We just like wrote it and pretty fast. And it was a piano song actually. We actually and actually that that song almost didn't make the record. We didn't record it, and then we, we didn't get to it. And then I was like, I really want the song on the album. And so we invited Griffin from Dawes over, and he played drums on it. And it was like we recorded that in one day after the rest of the record was pretty much done. So your lyrics are rarely overly poetic. They're often very conversational, and you use that to your advantage. I think it's one of the reasons why you're such a great wordsmith. You're not just conversational, but you're incredibly concise while still being conversational, which is so hard to do as someone who struggles to not say a million words in conversations to try and get my point across, ask my wife, she gets so impatient with me because honestly though it's really easy i think sometimes to be poetic and concise because at the end of the day you almost don't need to like hit that perfect meaning because there's room for the poetry to just like go and take flight where with a conversation there is no room each letter is so important and the way you do that is just incredible my favorite line in this song is i still believe that we will find our way and it's hopeful despite not being able to find your way together with this person in the past and it represents that kind of leap of faith both on your part and on the part of whom the song is being written to and my question is in this specific situation what led you to hoping despite not finding your way in the past yeah i think that the way that i i kind of introduced this song when we were on tour was this idea that like you know there's only a handful of things that i think we we pick that are more important than like everything else combined if that makes sense like man this this thing is like if this is worth it then it kind of requires me to risk everything else and i think that really what it was in this situation was that i just like i met this person that i that was like the situation seemed so impossible just like the logistics of the of the situation seemed so hard and it was me just saying like you know what like i think that if things are if something is this worth it, then you're going to find that you're going to figure it out. Like you're going to find your way out. 
but it requires that realization. It's why that that phrase seems hopeful and also not very hopeful because yeah. like what I'm kind of implying is that like, man, this is going to cost a lot on purpose because it's worth it. And I think that that's like I think that's what real hope actually is. It's not necessarily it's not like hoping that everything's going to work out for free. It's like saying like, man, you know, if we it's like it's sort of that that it's the it's the the simultaneous like hope that it's possible at all and realization that it's going to cost you something and still choosing that thing. You know, that's like, well, I think that's what like love is, you know, love isn't love when everything's going good, when everything's easy, like love becomes love when it sucks and you still pick it. So I think that's part of what it is is just saying like, man, I, you know, like hope to me is like picking something that's worth it and, and making, and like, you know, kind of like just choosing something and sacrificing other things for that thing. For not being a Christian, you sure know how to preach, man. <laughs> uh, those are very wise words. Next, we have Autumn Love. I was waiting so long to be alone with you. In an autumn love. Oh. So, Andrew, the next time uh, you'll be, like, out in public, this song will be in season. What are your thoughts (laughs) on this? Probably. Well, this is one of the most beautiful songs on the album. It's been raining all day here, and when I was listening to the song earlier, it was really the one cheerful part of the day with with the rain. It just kind of, I don't know, brings a smile to my face every time I listen to it, and... Musically, I really love there's a very big musical change that happens about halfway through the song, and there's a great instrumental after that, and there's quite a few moments on this album and including the song that that you have uh, female singing harmonies with you. So the first question is, is that one person specifically or are there multiple people who sang harmonies on this album? And then how do you go about deciding when it feels right to kind of add harmonies in a song and that collaboration process? Yeah, so that that song is like, there's actually two female female vocalists on it. There's a girl named Boston Anderson and then uh, a girl named Angie Miller. She Oh, Angie Miller, uh, one of my best friends, Kevin, yeah. is best friends with her. John Miller yeah. plays in Valley Heart. Yeah, yeah. So she's originally from Boston and her and her husband as well. Um, yeah, and DJ. they live in L.A. now. Yep, DJ. I actually did a tour with them a few years ago. It was really fun. That's awesome. But she, yeah, she she plays under uh, an artist moniker called Zealand, Z-E-A-L-Y-N. But she's, uh, yeah, so she's doing kind of all the really, like, atmospheric like kind of sounds that are happening especially in that little section between the two parts where you're where you're talking about but yeah i mean kind of the way that i've always done it in the studio is like once we get the songs like most of the way there i'll just start calling people and scheduling them so i'm like hey can you come in for three hours on monday between eight and eleven or whatever and then someone else comes in at a little bit after and you kind of just fill the pieces in so like you know like for instance i knew that i really wanted madison cunningham to sing on come to California and Fentanyl. So we got her first. And then I really wanted Boston to sing on Autumn Love. And then I really wanted Angie to sing on Highline. So we kind of just like got them in there in those sections. And then you get the parts that are important to you. And then you just start filling things in. 
And that section with Angie was actually one of those where I was like, hey, can you just like sing these oohs? And she did. And then it became like a really important part of the song. Man, that's cool that, that you're saying that's Madison Cunningham on Come to California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. She's awesome. She's amazing. Yeah. So some of the first lines in the song are watching June bugs die turn off the water slides, don't leave my side, leave my side. And then the last lines on the song are, it's a great feeling I get that we're not done yet, but we could stay here for a while. And I think you brilliantly juxtapose the death of fall with the continued life of this relationship. And then very cleverly, the song isn't done yet as you break into that beautiful instrumental at the end. Sometimes songs reflect the feelings of the lyrics, which I think this song definitely does. But sometimes they also reflect the actual theming of the lyrics and their arrangement. Do you often think through the arrangement in light of the theming of your lyrics? Yeah, I mean, it all feels kind of tied together. So that one was moments on the whole record. And it was kind of like a. I knew that we just wanted to kind of play it out. Because the point of the song is that it's like implying a moment of rest. It's like this space between, you know, that's what fall kind of is, right? It's like this holding pattern. It's like what we're doing right now, actually, but like on a massive scale. But this thing, like, I think that in that time of rest, like in the fall, you know, you can like, you can devalue what can happen in those moments because it's just a passing time. Yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to do there. And I just knew that I wanted to like stop it and then just go nuts and have Tyler play the piano really well. And I just like when that when that goes back into that section, it's like the other really interesting thing musically about that song is that it's on a click track until that moment. So if you like listen to it, it's like it's all kind of stuck into a not stuck, but it's like very gridded, very like not rigid, but it's like it's to a click. And then right there, it stops like the click track turns off and then the band plays. And you can that's actually why I think that moment feels so interesting is that it feels like it's a dog off leash because it is like the click track goes away and the band just plays. That's one of the that's one of my favorite moments in that song or in, on the whole record is that moment when you can just feel it like release. Definitely. That's so sick. That's very interesting uh, information. Thanks for sharing that. Next up, we have The Last Summer, which this could be. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. I really love the throwback sounds on the song, whether it's the synth work, the retro bass line, or even just the nostalgic lyrics. It's a really sick vibe. So I also love the lyrical idea of kind of looking back at your life and not realizing at the time that something was ending. So did it take a while to come up with your list of things from the past that ended? And how did you go about coming up with that list? And was there anything that you couldn't fit in the song? That was one of my favorite parts of writing the whole thing, actually, was that process of coming up with that list. Yeah, my, my friend Patrick, who plays bass with me, we would kind of drive up and back from the studio in L.A. at Tyler's. And uh, on the way, we would just try to think up things that were the last time. So, like, yeah, like Patrick came up with the MySpace users line, which I think is hilarious. But it was re- that was really fun. I mean, obviously, the first three were the ones that are in the original chorus. And then I just, like, uh, the sixth moon landing was the first one that came. It was like, that was the last time we went to the moon. It feels like a really long time ago. It seems like we would have gone more than six times 
<laughs> like that was a really easy one. And then like, like obviously Okinawa was, you know, that's kind of where World War II ended. And then the ride or die are all disbanding, which is just me like trying to make kind of like a tongue in cheek teenager reference. Like, this is like, you know, I, I just imagine like being a kid and being like, oh man, like that's the language you would use. And then that was kind of all it was for a long time. And then uh, I just went back and just like made a huge list of stuff. And those ones are some of my favorite ones. Like, uh, I, and yeah, those references are so fun to think of. I still like, there's still a bunch of them that make me laugh when I, when I hear them. So. So in your story behind the song video, you talk about how this song is about, Andrew brought this up, how you don't realize something is the ending or the last of its kind until it's already over and in retrospect, which is very connected to that list you brought up, which for me, this song is definitely connected to the fear of loss in Highline, as well as I'd probably argue in Fentanyl as well, and how things can end so unexpectedly and be gone forever. So this song is especially pertinent for me right now, though I have I would have rewritten it as sixth ring for Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, so sad. <laughs> we ain't ever going back again. <laughs> hey, but hey, hey, but good news, you got Brian Hoyer, man. Dude, that was the most uh, subtle shot to the balls I've ever been given in my entire life. Did it feel wow. subtle? Oh uh, no! But it, it, se- it seemed. It felt. It did not feel subtle. It, it appeared subtle, though. Yeah. I really do feel for you, but I also uh, am a Seattle Seahawks fan, and I will never forget oh. that play on the one-yard line. So that's why I had to give you that, that one. <laughs> I feel you, but I almost feel like your anger and frustration must be more towards like Pete Carroll than the Pats. Or Am, am I wrong about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. And also okay. Malcolm Butler, because he should not have made that play. You're right. You're right about that. Okay. In all seriousness, as the kids say, uh, no cap. So in the second verse, you saying, I know we were leaving, but I didn't know that it was all set in motion and we couldn't go back. So I was thinking about this same idea a few months ago about how there's certain moments in my life I will never have back again. But then it made me think about the current moments I have now and how I won't have them for long either. And as discouraging and sad as this conversation was in my own head, I was also encouraged to be thankful for and enjoy this stage of life and these moments because I won't be able to return to them once they're gone. And my question for you has nothing to do with any of that, so I'm sorry for rambling. Were you intentional lyrically about writing it in a way where it was open to being interpreted as a love song, even though that's not the type of relationship you were writing about? Or did that just happen unintentionally? Because I feel like the song really opens up and is able to touch so many different people and situations with how open and kind of vague it is lyrically about who those relationships are with. That's really interesting that you picked up on that because it actually was before we did final revisions on the lyrics of that song. It was a love song. It was kind of a lost, lost love song. It was, there's a lyric that says our lives were the dust, just the dust and the light. And it used to be our love was the dust, just the dust and the light. So it's like that idea of like a lost relationship. That was where it came from. So yeah, I, I feel like what you're picking up on is just really good listening because that was the place I was writing it from for sure. Like the bed and the bed of your dad's pickup is like, you know, kind of clearly like a, 
lay down and watch the stars teenage romance thing. The way that I started writing that song is that I was listening to a secret garden by Bruce Springsteen. It's like, and I talked about that in that story behind the song thing too, but it's like the, that feeling of uh, when I, when I listen to that song and that there's that piano line, that's like, so this keeps going over and over and over all the way through the song. And it's like, I couldn't figure out what it was making me feel. And it was that moment. It was that like last, it was that like kind of the, the pining for the last time that you saw this person that's like so influential into who you become later without realizing it. It's cool that you picked up on that. Thank you. I'm going to go off road real quick and ask a question, which in the video, when you talked about Springsteen, it kind of made me make this connection and let me know if you weren't thinking this at all. But bringing up Springsteen almost made me feel like it's funny in this song where you lose everything, almost like music still remains, and how like you can continually go back to that Springsteen song and have those feelings and emotions, and that song will be forever be unchanged. And I think it's such a cool thing about music, how it kind of freezes time and brings you back without actually, obviously, going back. Do you view music the same way? Well, I always, you always hope that like what you're making is. I mean, I think the goal of any artist is to try to make something that's timeless, or at least like timeless in how it relates to the future. You know, it's like if you read Anna Karenina or something, it's like dealing with russian oligarchies and like weird social constructs and it has nothing to do with how we live our life now but like it's still timeless you can still read like vast like you know kind of immortal humanity into those situations and so i think that's what i'm always trying to do is to be as you you need to like try to find a way to like open the door to people and i think that the balance is to like make it personal from your experience in a way that can relate to the broader human narrative. I think that's everyone's goal. It's definitely mine. And like, I mean, I think if anybody makes one timeless thing in their lifetime, that is a massive victory. And that's really always kind of what I'm shooting for. That's why I'm on TikTok, baby. And I'm just kidding. Next up, we have Sunday. I'll make it all up to you. Okay, Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is obviously the title track, and it's a great one at that. The addition of the banjo in the song is really perfect. It also has a really beautiful build and crescendo in the song that makes it kind of stand out in all the songs because it's a very different song structure than was used previously. I really love the piano at the beginning and the whole kind of production sound that it has. It has kind of that that old vinyl-type sound. It's kind of somewhat detuned and messy. And then the ending guitar has a similar effect that it kind of has that it's a similar kind of almost detuned type of sound and so how did you go about practically creating the sound of the beginning piano and the ending guitar yeah that was so one thing about tyler who produced this record is that tyler doesn't use like there's a ton of things you can you can find now days that will emulate that stuff you know, just like software that'll make it sound like vinyl or whatever. And we, uh, Tyler doesn't use any of that stuff. So like that, 
that's like he Tyler uses everything is real. Like there's an, I think there's like no software instruments on the whole record. So the reason why that song is so interesting is because that's a real tape loop. So it's like an it's an old tape machine that we played the piano into, and then you know we had to. That's why it's such a crazy thing because we had to build basically this tape loop, sort of like how you would how they started you know um, Money by Pink Floyd, right? So you do this tape loop with the piano thing, and then that repeats, and that becomes your meter. That becomes your time signature. So it's really hard to play to a thing like that because it's like, yeah, it's a tape machine too, so it's warbling and fluttering, and it's like going off time and out of pitch. It's an old tape machine. So that's the whole beginning of the of the build. It's just over and over and over is that, that thing that's going on. And then the second tape loop comes in on top of the first one, and somehow Tyler kept it all together. I don't know how he did it. But like he made a session that mapped out that loop, and it it all holds together somehow, and it doesn't fall apart. And it, it he like created a meter out of it, which is just like remarkable to me. And then the end thing is this. Uh, that's another thing we used on this record a lot. But that's kind of the most obvious moment of it. Is um that's a rubber bridge baritone guitar. It's a really weird guitar. It's built out of like an old '60s silvertone, like half scale, uh, but it's got a rubber bridge and it's a baritone, and it's just a very very weird guitar and then we ran it through some weird pedals and into a guitar amp and it just sounds wild so the cool thing about it the reason why i love all that stuff on there on that song in particular because i mean it wasn't even going to be a song originally it was going to be like a little like 30 second like interlude and then we just like were enjoying the sound so much that we just made it longer and longer and longer that's why it doesn't have any words except for like the title track so yeah but uh it's just like these instruments that i don't think you could ever recreate that kind of like decide what the song is going to sound like on their own so my wife and I were talking about this song in the car, and she said, you know it's great songwriting when you can tell a whole story in a single sentence. And I think she hit the nail on the head with this one. And I would very much like to lie and say I had that quote, but it was her. How did you come to decide that these would be the only lyrics for the song? Um, it actually had, at one point, I think it had verses and stuff. I'm, actually, I'm almost positive that it did. And we were listening to it, and I was, like, talking to somebody, and I was like, you know, I think this whole song is just that, like, it's that little banjo thing, that, like, the little descending line, and it's the, that lyric. I think that's the whole thing. And it was kind of weird to, to make that decision because, like, that's a, kind of a crazy thing to do, it's like, have a song just be a sort of chorus, and, like, that's all. But, yeah, that was I was just remember thinking, like, I just want it to sound like this. And I think that, like, you know, the, those types of decisions are always like, if you overthink them, like you'll, you'll probably end up ruining some of the best stuff that you could have made. Cause like, he was like, I think I like it like this and I'm just going to decide to do that. And then that's over now. Also, I think it's interesting that an album that deals so much with the past is titled in regard to the future. I mean, it is obvious why, but when along the timeline did this become the album title and was it an easy or difficult decision at the time choosing this for the title i actually had like i've had that phrase in my head for a long time like the same make it all up to you thing is like it felt really kind of indicative of how i felt about this record in general is just this feeling of like the way that i think most of us live which is like holding these two ends of the rope like you're holding the future and you're holding the past and you're the two don't meet like you can't you can't ever like get them together to tie it <laughs> like to tie the rope and have like a full clean timeline it's like you're kind of just hanging in the middle of these two the two ropes of the future and the past and and like just like that sort of desperate feeling of like one day this will work or like one day this will be easier 
or one day I will make everything right that I've ever done wrong. And obviously that that's kind of like a, like the, my friend, he, when he heard the record the first time he texted me, he's like, what's it? Like, what is it? And he's like, that's the point. Like, he's like, that's what this whole record is about is what's it? Like someday I'll make it all up to you. What is it? And I was like, I was like, I feel like that's such a, it was such a cool response to that phrase because like, I think that's kind of the point is that we don't really know what it is. Like we just want it to be better or it to work. I don't even know what the answer is. I guess like the answer is just saying like, it is now. Like it's, it's all kind of fine. You know, it's all here. Next up, we have fentanyl. I want a second chance to talk. I want a second chance for you. Maybe you'd find Jesus or a 12-step way through. But there's no goodbye calls with fentanyl. All right, Andrew, Fentanyl, what are your thoughts? So this is personally one of my favorite vibes on the album. I think the chord structure, the melody and cadence, they all create just one of the most unique songs on the album. I think that it has some of my favorite production elements on the album as well. Can you talk about what went into the production of this song and how it fit kind of into the production of the whole record as a whole? This is probably like the closest thing to... This would be the easiest way to describe the record, actually, is that this is this is the purest form of how we made it, which is that this this is literally um, the only thing that's overdubbed on this song is Madison Cunningham's vocals. So literally everything else is is 100% live off the floor. Tyler is playing all that guitar stuff, and then Anna Butters is playing bass, and Aaron's playing drums. And it's like we did four takes of it and picked one. I don't know. It's, we were la- we were laughing about this one in the studio because when we were making it, because it sounds sort of tropical. It sounds kind of like, it sounds kind of fun. Like I think somebody made like a weird like Jimmy Buffett reference or like an old like reggae record reference, or it just feels it feels like kind of happy. But it's about it's called fentanyl and it's about a drug overdose. So it's like this. I I think like. One of the reasons why I'm so I love that song so much is because we call it, yeah we called that song "Sad Vacation." That was the name of it in the studio. It was like there's this idea of like people being sick and ignoring it, and also the way that we turn to you know narcotics for escape or for like this, like the similar way that we use them for you know like you would use a vacation, I guess. Um, and that ultimately it's like really dark and destructive under the surface, and that's kind of what the song is like. So, so I'm gonna touch on the lyrics, which. Is not a surprise. And for the lyrical themes and stuff, first off, Andrew and I just wanted to say sorry for the loss of your friend. I don't know how recent it's been or whatever, but we're sorry. Well, thanks. So this song in and of itself is kind of hopeless. And uh, even as the song's intensity begins to rise with the chorus and hope begins to kind of like seep through the cracks, it quickly fades into, again, hopelessness. In the last chorus, you change the lyrics as you sing, I want a second chance to talk. I want a second chance for you. Help you find some help. But I just never helped you. And you not only ask for a second chance for your friend, but also for yourself, wishing you could have helped them. But it's too late. And your friend's gone and you were unable to help him. And I just had a really hard time like thinking up a question for the song just because of it almost just is what it is. You know what I mean? Like there's no like 
Like, I don't know. I, I mean, it shows the good songwriting that you explain things clearly, but just like it was really tough. But I realized, and I'm not trying to like force in a silver lining, but I think you should recognize hope when it's there. And I did recognize hope as I continue to press through. And it's simply you sharing your story and you being able to encourage others to help their friends before it's too late for them. And I just want to thank you for doing that. And yeah, I don't know if I have a question, but thank you for sharing your story. Is that kind of how you're viewing it almost in a sense or more of a personal like thought process thing and trying to think through it? Definitely. Yeah. I think that's the, the main question of that song is what you just hit on, which is that I view it as a failure on my own part. Even though that's obviously not fair, and like there's a really good chance that nobody could have helped this particular person. But I think, yeah, it's funny because I've actually had a lot of people, when I put the song In Your Name out on my first record, a lot of people emailed me because they lost, you know, loved ones. Um, and they were wondering, like, how God, you know, the questions that you have when you lose a loved one. Um, and this one was, is like, when I put fentanyl out, almost no one has talked about it, like, it feels sort of like the second, like a B-side song, I think, to a lot of people. To me, it's one of the most important moments in the record. And a lot of people kind of privately reach out to me and say, like, you know, because there's, like, with suicide or with, you know, overdose, those things affect other people, like, not just in a, not in, it's, it's a complicated response for people because people blame themselves. And I think that, like, putting in words to that for people to say, like, man, I, when this person passed away, I was almost unable to like process that he was gone because I was so mad at myself for not, cause you know, we all knew that he was messed up. We didn't really know how or on what, but like everybody knew that he was like doing something weird, like doing something that was definitely not good. Um, and nobody wanted to deal with it. Like nobody wanted to, you know, it was just way too uncomfortable to try to tackle this massive issue with this person that was kind of already distant because of their, the sickness that they had. And I think when people say like, man, that's exactly how I felt. I didn't want to deal with it. And then he died and now I'm guilty. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's how I think you should feel. And also it's not your fault. I think that's been helpful for people. Next we have fire escape. Andrew, Firescape. So I think this is the most upbeat song on the album. There's been some some movement and some fun songs, but I would say this is probably the most uh, upbeat and maybe fun sound on the album. It's also my favorite guitar work on the album. It's incredibly layered, and the tone for each guitar part is really, really on point. What is your favorite instrument to record, and do you have a favorite instrument to play live? I love playing guitar live. I like my favorite thing in the studio is if if somebody has like most of these recording studios now they have like a whole wall of weird keyboards and I don't know what any of them do. You know, there's like the classic ones like there's the Rhodes and there's a Wurlitzer and maybe there's a B3 Hammond and then uh, and then it starts getting into like synthesizer world where you'll have like the Juno and maybe you'll have a Moog and then and then it starts getting really fun where there's these things that the guy picked up you know, like at a flea market or something. And those keyboards are the most fun. 
So like uh, ones that just like that are just like there there's a like there's a bunch of keyboards that like toy companies made back in the 60s and 50s and there's ones that like you know like Silvertone made for Sears or whatever and they're just like super they're these instruments that sound like nothing else and they do one thing and they're usually really expensive and they usually break and they sound all scratchy and those are the most fun things to record but yeah Fire Escape is funny because we we finished the record and Tyler was like we need another upbeat song. And so that was a song we actually wrote after the record was done. We wrote it in a day, and I was like, I love this song. It's so fun. It just feels like the... And so that's why it does... Like, it even has the tagline for the record in the song. We knew the record was going to be called that. And it just felt like it was like... This is... It was actually like... I felt like I got a second chance to summarize what I was trying to say. And it was through Fire Escape. And the coolest thing about that song, production-wise, is that if you listen to it, there's two drummers on it. So in your left ear is Aaron Redfield playing drums. And then in your right ear is James McAllister, who played on all the Sufjan Stevens records and plays for the national now. So he's just like these two absolute legendary drummers playing. And, and what happened is that Aaron tracked it live and then James tried to copy Aaron, but didn't really learn it very well on purpose. So you're hearing like one drummer play it and then the other drummer try to copy what the other, what the other guy's doing, but kind of not that well on purpose. And it's just so interesting. So like some of the fills will start in one ear and then James will try to play that fill, but then it'll go longer than the other fill did. So it'll like kind of pan across your, across the stereo image. And it's just like the song actually really wasn't working very well. And then we re-recorded drums and it didn't work with James drums either. And so we just put them both in and it worked. Wow. And we were like, this is so, it's so fun. Yeah, so there's two drummers totally panned hard left and hard right, which is, like, not how drums are recorded because they're, you know, like, there's six microphones or whatever. This is, like, why we love this podcast so much is that, like, these are little tidbits and things that you might not even notice. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this album by now and I didn't notice that. And so I'm so excited to re-listen, like, hearing all these cool things about how you've written these songs and, and these small production things that I'll be able to listen back to and be like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's such a cool thing. So, again, thank you so much for sharing uh, just all these things with us. It's awesome. Yeah, totally. Glad you're interested. So, uh, first off, I think that, for me, the, the track listing placement is interesting, uh, coming directly after Fentanyl. Where with fentanyl, there seems to be like no second chances. And with fire escape, there's just an abundance of chances. And you're still begging for another, like you're still asking for that one more. And there's so many parts of the songs I want to talk about, but I'll just focus on the pre-chorus where you sing, if I can't afford a diamond, will you let me hold your hand? And man, that line just gets me every time. I can just relate to those feelings of inadequacy in a relationship and i can also relate when you sing and obviously this is a as you mentioned the title uh i'll make it up to you one day almost as if you are incapable of making it up now because becoming the person you need to be will take time and dude you just when you described it earlier with that being hanging in the balance of past and future and like holding the two at once. Like that's what I was trying to say, but did not have the words or the eloquency to uh, put together. So thank you for doing that. And as you're asking for one more time for the millionth time to prolong things until you can eventually arrive at becoming that person. And uh, what I wanted to say I don't think there's enough love songs about desiring to become a better person for 
the other person. And I know this is a personal question, so feel free not to answer, but what is one area where you're trying to improve in your relationship? Man, that's cool. I, in that song, I think like one thing that I wanted to try to imply, which I don't know if I think that you're exactly onto it, but this idea that like the other person doesn't really feel failed. It's kind of me that feels like the failure. You know, there's that, there's that, uh, I think there's kind of like this cool, the, the hope in that song for me, at least is this feeling of like kind of coming to that person being like, man, I just want to be better for you. And then kind of the response, like the inherent response would be like, like you're okay you know like there's kind of like a like i love you and you're you're fine you know that type of thing um man there's so many ways that i i want to be better but i think one big one that i've been working on for a long time is that i'm just i'm just impatient like i have a i'm i just tend to want to rush through things i want to get them done and i want to like it's why like some of the things that i've really worked on doing like we were talking about people watching earlier it's like those are ways that i where i require myself to be because all the best things happen for me when I'm really bored. That's why I want to be more patient. Well, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Next up, we have Miles. We've got miles to go. We've got Andrew, what are your thoughts on uh, Miles? So the song reminds me the most of the songs on Letters to Lost Loves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's different, though, because it has an organ and some other effects that make it sound different than anything on that album. But my question is, when did you write the song in comparison to Letters to Lost Loves? And which song on this album do you feel like sounds the most like your debut album? And which one do you feel like is the most different from that album? Good question. Man, I wrote that song. So that song's referencing a tour that I did right maybe a little before, like a year or two before Letters came out. So it does, it definitely hastens, like it definitely like kind of is reflecting back on that time in my life for sure, which would make sense. I think probably this one's the closest sonically. I mean, all the stuff that, I, like a lot of the stuff that Tyler did really, that Tyler had a little bit of a heavier hand in is the, is the least like it because he has such a sonic footprint. But like, uh, yeah, I'd say like fentanyl is way different. And so it's like, even like the last summer, like the way that that groove happens, that's something I would have never done before. So I think uh, this, again, is a great song about progress and the need for growth on the journey ahead. I wanted to talk about an aspect of that. During the second half of the second verse, you sing, you know, we all know to avoid you when you come back from your trips. Don't ask him questions, and you just want us to get. It's only kind of listening, but I too understand how the slow roll of black rubber brings the worst out of a man. And I mess that up, but that's a gist. And I find the imagery interesting because isolation can bring out the worst in us, and who we become in isolation, ironically, often can make people want to isolate from us. And this isolation isn't simply physical, but also mental, emotional, and spiritual. The chorus then goes, we've got miles to go, we've got miles, which turns isolation into community. It turns that singular into a plural. Yeah, so you brought up that tour. Do you mind just 
going a little bit deeper into describing that tour and its relationship with the song? The funny thing about this tour, I thought about this the other day, actually, is that early on in, like, if you're, like, singer-songwriters that hire bands, um, what happens is that you hire your friends to come play, you know, bass or drums or whatever. So, like, Gabriel in the first verse is my friend Gabe, who played drums on some of those early tours. He's a dear friend. And what happens is that you turn into this, like, monster because you're now sort of employing your friends and you're also like, you're the act, right? So people want to kind of talk to you and they know about you and you turn into this, like you turn into a monster, but you turn into a terrible person. And it happens pretty much any time that someone hires their friends, like that a singer songwriter hires their friends to go on tour, uh, especially like early on until you figure out what's happening. And that's, um, I think that two parts of that is one is that like those people, didn't let me get away with it. They were like, hey, you're being an asshole to us. And that's not okay. So I think like having community that's both supportive and also critical, but like kind of the right type of critical is really important. So finally, we have the last song, I Miss the Old Days Too. thoughts on i miss the old days too so the song wraps up the album perfectly this album has been rooted in telling stories from the past and looking at past things in your life either with joy or with sadness and i think both musically and lyrically this is the perfect ending to the album this is one of my favorite vocal performances on the album as well And so, Tyson, I'm just wondering, can you talk about the process of writing this song? Did you always know that this was going to be the closer? And why was it important for you to end this album with the lyric, I want better days to miss? It's interesting that you say that that's your favorite vocal performance because I was playing the piano and singing at the same time on that one. And I'm not a super strong piano player, so I was really nervous on it. Like I was I felt really uptight. That's really interesting to hear that. I, that's cool to hear that. If I can interject, I think what I really love about it is that it feels really raw and emotional. Yeah. And it could be because of some of those fears and insecurities that you had to kind of overcome to sing the song. That like, yeah. I think that's actually maybe what stands out and makes it one of my favorite vocal performances is that you were in that situation. Yeah, that makes sense. The other cool thing about that song is that we had a... So the mastering engineer actually took it out, which is amazing to me. But there was a cricket in the studio, and we couldn't find it. And this cricket was like make it was like making cricket sounds all the way through it. And it's and I think you can still kind of hear it. It's in the background a little bit. But I I love that cricket so much. It was like really loud though. So we did all this stuff. The mastering engineer is kind of this genius guy who like I think he pretty much got it all the way out. But you can still kind of hear it. But yeah, we do. I wrote that song like maybe three years ago, and it was kind of like. I just, like, I was really tired of how people were talking. I like to say that most of my friends are on the left side of the political spectrum. And, you know, during the Trump election and, and afterward, it was just, like, it felt insane and impossible to people that, that, you know, he would get 
elected and especially that he would get elected by kind of by Christians. That was what felt so weird to people. And I just realized like it was a really kind of a wake up moment for me to say like, oh man, like these people, these people that are my friends uh, and the people that I talk to like actually don't really know what it's like to be someone that would, you know, like, like most of America or like, you know, all of the middle of America, like these people that are clearly in a lot of pain and, and people that I like, I know them. Like I'm on the road all the time. I meet these people. They have me over for dinner and they feed me and they're incredibly gracious and hospitable and they're awesome people. I love them. But then the way that we talk about them, uh, my, you know, the way that people that don't, don't vote for Donald Trump talk about him is just that they're these stupid hillbillies that don't know anything. And I was like, you know, that's not, that's not true. Like that's not who these people are at all. And and then I started to realize like, Hey, like, you know, if you, I try, I kind of tried to like embody their perspective a little bit. And then I started to find it in myself and I realized like, Oh, you feel the exact same way. It just comes out differently. It's like you, like you make a living being sentimental and nostalgic. Like you're the one that invents the past all the time. And so I guess what my realization through that process is saying, like, instead of us like kind of painting one another as people that don't want, you know, that are whatever, you know, label you're going to put on anybody, just saying like, man, we all, we're all doing this all the time. And maybe really like, that's like, you know, even if you look at like the record, the two sides of the rope, you have the past and the future. I wanted to end it. I wanted to end the record with the promise of the work for the future. So like, instead of ending it on like how things used to be different to end it on how like one day, this is going to be the, the past. And we, really like right now we need to be setting ourselves up to have a better future than we have than our present is. So like I wanted to end the record looking forward and looking forward with hope. So that's why we ended on that line. I just thought of this at the very end of that one, my friend John Van Dusen, who's in a, the band, a band called The Lonely Forest, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. He recorded a background vocal part and we left it in way too loud. So it's just him screaming at the end. That's one of my favorite parts of the whole record is just hearing John, because his voice is really, really distinct. And so it's just him screaming, I want better days to miss. And I just like love it when I hear it. Yeah, it makes it a little bit more like happy, though. And and like it, it, his like almost like raw abandon, which might be a little too over the top, really dives into that hope, though. You know, on that track, too, it's also uh, Colony House is singing that. And I think John Mark McMillan is singing it. And there's a gospel choir from South Carolina singing it. So those voices are all like, they're from all over the country and they're all really cool people. So that that's another thing I love about that end section. That's sick. So yeah, just picking up with that line, what are the better days you're envisioning? Well, I mean, really, like, I think like the, the, you know, the last verse in that is, you know, it's, the, it's referencing Tommy Smith at the Olympics with the, you know, with his fist up. It's like talking about, uh, you know, race issues is actually where I land on that. But I guess the point is the future that I want for us is just is really this one where, where I think like no matter who you are, that you have equal opportunities. But also more than that, like, I mean, the thing is that I don't think that the, I don't think the world gets changed by policy. Like if you want to talk about politics, like I don't think that the world changes by policy. I think policy changes as culture changes to kind of uphold the norm that already exists. So really what I want is I just want a future where like what I was saying before about supporting artists, like, or supporting anyone really, that's, I think just a future where we hold each other up and take care of each other, you know, and where that's like kind of generally, generally understood to be how people treat each other. I don't know. I think that, I think it's possible to find a, find a world where we, you know, where you're generally trying to look 
after other people's needs at least as much as your own. Uh, I think that's a that's a pretty bright future, but who knows? That's how we'll end it. Who knows? There you go. So as we end, uh, we just want to give our favorite song on the album. So as you quickly think of yours, Tyson, Andrew will go and I will go, and then we'll hit it to you. So Andrew, favorite song? Yeah. So this is really tricky, and I think this album is so good, and there's no bad songs, so you didn't help me pick a favorite song because you made them all too good. But (laughs) I think I'm going to go... My current favorite right now is Fentanyl. I just... I really love that song. It's got such a maybe because it's so different, but but it's just a really really unique song and I really I really like it. So Nate, what is your favorite song? I have the same concerns as Andrew about how difficult it is to find one. I think I'm going to go with uh the title track. I just think it gets me in, in the feels every time and there's just space to really meditate on those words and uh, let them take a life of their own. And then musically, I just think it's a really, despite it's simplistically, a really dynamic and gut-wrenching and emotional buildup, which I think is done brilliantly. All right, Tyson, what's your favorite? You guys both picked Dark Horses, man. I love it. I think I'd probably go with Highline. That's the one that I always kind of go back to. It's a good good choice. You can't, you can't pick wrong. All right, as we... And just we want to remind you all, make sure to follow Tyson on all his socials. If you haven't already, be on the lookout for any announcements in the future about potential tour stuff uh, with Colony House. If there's any tickets, look in to get those when uh, they have the chance to get back on the road. And then, like, like Andrew said, just flock to his merch site. Buy things for grandparents, aunts, uncles. They'll look extremely good in all in all his beautiful merch wear. And uh, you can take family photos. Who doesn't want a Tyson Motzenbach or family photo? I'll feature it. If, I, if Ruby and the family has a piece of my merch on, I'll definitely feature that. Oh, that's <laughs> sick. You just got to get those footsie PJs and you're all Gucci with that. That's right. All right, Tyson, honestly, from the bottom of our hearts thank you so much for joining us this was an absolute pleasure we just respect you and look up to you so much and are so thankful for your not only your music but who you are as a person and just thank you we really appreciate it well thank you guys for the time it was it was a delight well there you have it that concludes our two-part episode with tyson matzenbacher just being able to pick his brain on all things music all things tyson matzenbacher so thank you guys so much for checking out this episode make sure that you're reaching out and thanking tyson for being a part of this podcast and being willing to share all of those extra details make sure that you're also buying all of his merch his tickets whenever all of that is available make sure you're reaching out to tyson and supporting him and supporting all of your favorite artists if you'd like to support us we'd really appreciate if you'd be able to subscribe to the podcast that really helps us out a whole lot we do this podcast for free just because we really want to be able to support other artists and help them be able to have a broader audience so make sure that you are subscribed so you can see all of our other episodes as we are releasing them you can reach out to us on our socials you can find us at twitter and at instagram at ldl pod and you can even email us at listening at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much and have a great day.
Laura just got in a fender bender.